I'm going to say something that might piss off a lot of people, especially if you're at a boarding school <laughs> or a prep school. Yeah. If you're intelligent and you got your act together, don't study. What's going on, everyone? My name is Colin O'Brien, and welcome to the first episode of the Charting Your Course podcast. In case you don't already know, Charting Your Course is a podcast where I primarily interview successful alumni from preparatory academies to help you chart your own course in life. And with this first episode of the podcast, I wanted to bring on a very special guest, and that is exactly who we have today. He is an alumnus of Choate Rosemary Hall and the CEO of Blitzmetrics with the mission to provide education at no cost to students. He manages ad campaigns for numerous Fortune 500 clients like the NBA Golden State Warriors, Nike, and Rosetta Stone. He's a world-renowned lecturer in Facebook marketing and has spoken over 730 times in 17 countries spanning five continents. He ran collegiate cross-country at SMU and has competed in over 20 marathons, including a 70-mile ultramarathon. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, LA Times, TechCrunch, Fox, CNN, CBS News, and has also held leadership positions at Yahoo and American Airlines. Need I say more? He is the man, the myth, the marketing mogul, Dennis Yu. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on as my first guest. What's up, Colin? What's up, everybody? So glad to be here. Yeah, and I am also glad that you are here, and I'm sure they are too, and I think they're going to find a lot of value of what you have to say. As our listeners may know, on Charting Your Course, we primarily feature prep school alumni. And like I just said, Dennis, you are an alumnus of Choate. So what, what year uh, did you graduate, just so the audience knows? I dropped out of high school. Oh, you dropped out. <laughs> Being an entrepreneur <laughs> at the very end. And I still got a full ride to go to Southern Methodist University. That is super cool to hear. See, everybody has a different journey in their entrepreneurial life. So... But you didn't know that. Yeah, really cool. You know, got a better economic background than I did. (laughs) It's really hard to. I was the top scorer in California in the GED. Wow, that's impressive. High school equivalency. That's like saying you're the best prison inmate. You get the award for like best behavior. (laughs) (laughs) That's not something you put on your resume. Yeah, it's really hard to find information about anybody's high school career. So it's good that you provided that insight before even started um, here with the questions. So to start things off, everyone knows, as I just introduced you a lot about your professional life, but you know, what were your early upbringings like and how did they lead you to attending Choate? I was a math guy. I didn't speak English until I was six. So I was made fun of, as you can imagine, because kids are mean. Yeah, I agree. I didn't have any friends. So I ate meals alone. And as a loser, I would walk back and forth between school and the library And I would just consume as many books as I could. I'd learn as much as I could. And I maxed out most of what I could have learned in high school. I was competing in math competitions. I traveled for math counts. Our buddy Tristan here is fantastic at math. Karen's pretty good at math too. Actually, all of us here, we've got some pretty strong math people here. And I found a certain level of solace and beauty in math because the answer, when you solve the problem down, if the answer is five, you get full credit. It's not based on whether they like you. It's not based on the subjectivity of whether that painting is nice or do you like red or blue. It's very clear. And so if you get the right answer, you get the right answer. And I love track and cross country because someone could run their mouth about how fast they were as an athlete. But if I beat them, 
doesn't matter what school they're from. doesn't matter what their last race was. They could say, oh, I ran 430 in the mile. And if I beat them and I, I ran 440, it doesn't matter. I still beat them because I outkicked them at the end or whatever it is. And I felt that life was measurable and it was a competition as long as you knew the rules. And Choate was a great way for me to discover that at a world-class level accidentally because the boarding school taught me the best lessons I've ever learned in my life. I learned more there than in college, than in middle school, and arguably even in business because I was around a bunch of kids like Ben Walton, his father, or not father, grandfather created Walmart. And wow. I was around the sons and daughters of people who were multi-billionaires and I got to hang out with them and I didn't realize what that was like. And there is the whole prep school, rich yuppie kind of, th but there, yeah. with that stereotype, you know, comes the opportunity and comes all the, all the reasons why you want to change your proximity to be around people in that sphere. It's not because when you go to Choate Rosemary Hall, you get access to books that no one else is allowed to read. You know, going to Harvard, exactly. You can, you know, anyone can check out the stuff. You have MIT Open Courseware, all these things, but it's the opportunity that's afforded to you because of who you're able to connect with. And it's always been about who you're able to connect with. Yeah. And just so the listeners know, I don't think I introduced myself really. I am a 17 year old and I go to Tabor Academy, which is another prep school. So Dennis's school and I are kind of in the same league. Not really, but the course record at Tabor on the course. Oh, really? That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So our schools, you know, go way back. Of course, prep schools for our listeners, they were founded all in like the 1900s, 1800s. Yeah. So there's a lot of rich history in them. So yeah, it's amazing to hear uh, that and just how you like solid results and winning and finding the problem, finding the specific number. I think I'm, mm -hmm. I think I'm really like that too. I'm a big math guy as well. I really like math. Uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite classes. So yeah, I'm also a competitive hockey yeah. player. So yeah, yeah, I think I can I see your instas. You and Kieran yeah. hockey. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> exactly. I think I can relate with you a lot on many fronts, but. You know, during your time at Choate, I know you've kind of touched on this already, but what were you like as a student in the community and what type of extracurriculars did you participate in, like including track and stuff like that? For me, everything was a competition. It didn't matter. Track was a competition, turning in English essays. You know, Tristan and I share this thing where we'll play pool and it's a competition or whatever it might be, you know, racquetball, it's a competition. <laughs> and... <clears throat> When you are so focused on winning because you're assuming that you're the underdog and when you've grown up where you're not accepted and you're the black sheep and you are not one of everybody else, you have to try extra hard. And it's not about like racism or discrimination. It's that when, when you're different, everything is intentional. And I found that I was not one of these rich kids where daddy had an unlimited allowance for me. I had to work. And one of the things I did was I would go to the stop and shop down the hill, which is an East coast grocery store. And I would put as many sodas and drinks and whatnot in my bag and I would sell them. And there was a program called junior achievement. Do you guys have that? Uh, I have not heard of that, but a lot of boarding schools have this and you're allowed to sell sodas and drinks and whatever. And you buy at the list price like whatever, 20 cents a soda, and you sell it at 60 cents a soda or whatever the price is. Yeah. So I did that so that I could have the rights to have a refrigerator inside my dorm room. And because I had the right to the refrigerator, 
I found the loophole was I could then take my bicycle and load up as much food as possible, Snickers, bars, whatever, and start selling it and start making money. I used spreadsheets way before other people even knew how Microsoft, it was before Microsoft Excel even existed. And I was lending people and keeping track of how much money they owed me. I was doing so much money, so much business that I pretty much put everyone else who was doing JA out of business at the school. And everyone was coming to my dorm room and people were complaining. I had to talk to the principal who called me and saying, Dennis, I hear that you might be violating the honor code. You know, that's a big thing at the boarding yeah. schools, the honor code. Honor code is huge, yeah. No, I'm not. Let's read the honor code, section 13, where it says, you know, junior achievement or what you're allowed to have. Oh, he has a, a fridge illegally. No, I don't. I earn my fridge because I'm buying the minimum quantity of one case of soda and one thing of chips or whatever every month. So I have the rights to the fridge. The other kids had a fridge because they had some prescription that required them to have the, you know, you know like these rich kids yeah. get these prescription things like yeah, Accutane or whatever. To get, the, to get the mini fridge. Like an acne drug that had to be refrigerated so they could have a fridge, right? They didn't really need the drug. They just want, used it to get the fridge. But I played the game too, fair. And I was making $100 a day, which wow. for people like you and Kieran is not a lot of money. But for me, as some kid who just needs money to be able to do stuff and be an entrepreneur and buy computer equipment and learn more about the internet and build websites and things like that, you know, computer equipment was really, really expensive back then. And I then would get a taxi. Now, there was, this is 15 years before. Oh, no, it was like 20 plus years before Uber, 25 years before yeah. Uber ever existed. And I would have a taxi for $7, a station wagon kind of taxi, load up everything I could at the supermarket. I knew which supermarket had stuff on sale. I'd buy it the cheapest and I'd get it over to my dorm room. I remember one time Cherry 7-Up in a two liter bottle was on sale for 49 cents. Or it was like 59 cents, but then it was like a 10 cent coupon and it was double coupon day on Wednesday and whatever. It ended up being that, and there was, a, there was also a coupon on the back of the two liter bottle, Yeah, 49 cents off. So the combination of the double coupons plus the, you know, the double your double coupon thing and the soda being on sale meant that every bottle I sold, they had to pay me like 50 cents. So I bought every single bottle they had of Cherry 7-Up and regular 7-Up. I think they ended up owing me like 60 bucks. Yeah. I said, well, we can't give you 60 bucks. So go back and fill up your cart with other stuff, right? Which is what I did. And then I went to all the other, it could be like a Safeway or a Stop and Shop or whatever the, the grocery store chain was. And I would maximize all the coupons, which is math, in my opinion, to get the most stuff and then get my $7 taxi and bring it all the way up to my dorm room. I had so much snacks and soda in my dorm room. There was only enough room for my bed. I had everything stacked <laughs> all the way up to the ceiling. And people would come up to my door and I had a little menu and I started to track how much money they owed me. And I just kept track. And I, yeah, I think I had a laptop back then. I had one of the very first laptops you could ever get. And I don't think it even ran Windows. That's amazing. Yeah. That's how I learned about computers and databases and websites. Yeah. So I've, I've found every single entrepreneur that I've talked to, every single successful entrepreneur that I've talked to had some form of hustle when they were younger, young, learning how entrepreneurship works and mm -hmm. selling things for profit works. And it's funny, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a successful entrepreneur yet. I'm still 17 years old, hoping to get there one day. But mm -hmm. uh, it's funny, I think last summer, I started, it was so random, I got really bored and I started a Minecraft server. And mm -hmm. I sold ranks for 
some some form of money on the game, I think, but mm. you pay for that money with real life currency. And I think I made eight hundred dollars yeah. in two weeks wow. from just off of this like Minecraft server. So awesome. Um, to our audience out there, yeah, just like Dennis said, like what I just said, you know, get involved in, you know, just anything you can, anything you can that inspires you and that could make you money and that, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be grand. Like what Dennis said, you can just be selling, you can just be selling bottles at the local grocery store. So it's really doesn't have to be all that much a Minecraft server. That's not that much either. So um, yeah, it's crazy how how side hustles like that can really result Mm -hmm. in some of the most successful entrepreneurs out there. And going into my next question, you know, preparatory academies like Choate are fantastic resources for the fundamentals and a wide variety of unteachable skill sets like responsibility, social skills, learning how to be independent and live alone, et cetera. So I think you've touched on this briefly a bit, but what are some of the skills that you learned from your time at Choate that you are grateful for in your professional marketing life today? I learned how to beat the system. So for example, I would do cross country practice and that would finish maybe 5.30 or 6 p.m. Maybe we'd lift some weights. Maybe I would go play some basketball or some Frisbee or do whatever I'm doing. And dinner in the dining hall would end at 7.30. And we had a dress code. You got to wear, you know, coat and tie and that kind of thing. And I didn't really like that. So I would find a way where I could maximize my time and dress just enough to meet the dress code, but get there at like 725 and get all the food, you know, that I wanted and be able to sit down or bring it to my room. So that way, you know, I just put the tie on real quick, get the food and walk out and then bring the plates back down the next day. And I discovered in any situation, there are a set of rules. And if you learn the set of rules and you play by, I'm not saying break the rules, but if you play by the set of rules and you know exactly what those rules are, you can win every time. And in a boarding school, you have a closed system, which is different than if you live at home with your parents and you go to a high school. Because you know, right, if you live on campus at a boarding school, then you have to be able to fend for yourself and your entire life. You know, how you live, who your friends are, getting good grades, going into town to buy supplies and equipment. And I had to kind of make my own way. I had mentors that have done incredible things for me. Bill Harnish is the guy who funded Costco and Best Buy. He was the, he's the billionaire guy who put the money into those two companies. And I was friends with John Harnish, who's his son. Yeah. And by being able to go around and go to ski resorts and go to places that Bill owned and go to his $100 million house that's 100,000 square feet in the Hamptons, that kind of thing, it wasn't that it was a life of luxury because I've seen a lot of mansions. It's that being around these people – that's why you go to prep school. Being yeah. around these people opens up opportunities. And I made the mistake when I first went to Choate because I kind of wanted to escape PV High School, which is where I was in California because we had some problems in the education system. They shut down our main high school, consolidated the three, or the three high schools into one high school, which wasn't a good high school anymore. So I had to go to a, a better school because that was important for me and my parents. Plus, I wanted to escape the control of you know, my parents telling me what to do. So I went as far as I could to the it's East Coast. a big Coast, shift. California, California to Connecticut. Yeah, but in a closed system, you have to be able to figure out how you're going to be able to get by. And if you, if you look at things in terms of independent of time, for you to do a good job, let's say you're taking five classes, for you to do a properly good job and study all the material and get A's, 
Maybe you're not a super high IQ genius like Tristan. Maybe you have to study like most people have to. You realize that there's not enough time to do all the things the way you would like to be able to do them. There's not enough time to do all the workouts to be able to eat right, to be able to study, to be able to hang out with friends, to be able to sleep, to be able to you know, read the books you want. And what do you do? And boarding school creates a massive time management challenge. So what do you decide to cut? Do you cut sleep? Do you cut some of my friends? We would, it's kind of nasty to say this, but like we would cut, you know, bodily health. Like, you know, we'd be like yeah. nasty because like showering took time or like we just wouldn't, you know, you got to cut the time somewhere, right? Yeah, <laughs> or you just eat the food as quickly schedule. as possible, right? Or you just like put on whatever clothes you can because you don't want to waste time matching things or, or you try you skip studying where you try to skim and figure out exactly what's going to be, be on the exam so you can still get an A on the exam. Yep. And I had a history professor, Dr. Howard, and these guys are all super well-known, published. I mean, these, these are the only people that, well, when you go to a top end prep school, this is what you get. And I was all about trying to get the A. And he told me, Dennis, you are, you're doing all the right things to try to get an A. And I understand how you want to get an A and you never want to get a B and a 4.0 and how important that is because that's going to help you get into an Ivy League, you know, which is why you go to yeah. one of these schools, you know, to go to one of these schools. But you might find to your horror that after a few years of this, you climb up the tree, you do everything the right way, but you've climbed the wrong tree. And he taught me the lesson that it's the relationships that matter as you're doing this, it's not necessarily getting the A's. Of course, I want to get the A's. Of course, I want to do well in school. But the re I discovered after the first year that it was the relationships that really meant the most. And then when it came to the professors, I chose the professors that I thought were the best. I didn't care what classes they were teaching. I used to choose by what are the subjects I want to learn about. But I found that I had a better education. I got more out of it when I chose the professor because the professor could make any particular topic interesting. And it was the stuff that happened outside of the classroom that really provided the opportunities, the introductions, the anecdotal stories that you're never going to get except privately. Maybe yeah. you've had the same experience, Colin, at 17. Yes, exactly. Realize that. You don't get that when you're just going to a no. public school and hanging out with random sorts of people at the mall, right? You're not yeah. going to get that. It's, it's, it's a really crazy, I've been to both. I went to a public middle school actually. And it's weird how they stress the importance of different things in prep school versus public school. I feel like in public school, grades and getting an A and, you know, all of that matter to a teacher a lot more. And I feel like in prep school, there's sort of this, I don't know, bond with the teacher and student that they, they care for you, like wanting to get to that next level, wanting to be successful in life, not just have an A on a piece of paper Yeah, that... I think that's something that we were fortunate enough to experience in our yeah. uh, youth that a lot of kids don't. And I think that will help me a lot in the future. Yeah. Look, yeah. You're, in, you're in a place where the teachers really, really care. They do. And if these students are here paying top dollar to go to this prep school instead of the local community college or high school, that means they care. So you're in a group of high vibration people, the students, and the professors that really, really want to succeed. So being in that environment is absolutely key. And independent of whatever you learn in the classes, being around folks who have that mindset changes your life permanently. 
It, it does. I fully agree with that. And moving on to this uh, next question sort of relates to what we've been saying so far with advice and what we've learned. But, you know, what advice can you give to current students that you wish you had known when you were a student that would have helped you earlier on in your marketing career? One of my mentors, Al Casey, who was the CEO of American Airlines, he said, focus on your learning curve, not your earning curve. And I was short-sighted thinking, prep school is a stepping stone to get into Harvard or MIT. Like I got into all of the Ivy Leagues, except for one. Duke is the only one that waitlisted wow, me. That's I, I applied to all of them. And I got into all of them except that one. And the thinking short-sighted means not thinking about four or five steps ahead, like in chess. So, okay. If I go to a great, if I use prep school as a way to get into a great college, then what? I mean, use, use a great college and then what? Become an entrepreneur or I want to be a doctor or I'm going to go work at a bank at Wall Street or, and then if I'm doing that, what do I want to do? The, the thing is when you're 17, where you are, I've asked lots of 17 year olds, even when I was a 17 year old, I asked other 17 year olds. So tell me what, why are you here? I want to get good grades so I can go yeah. to this other school. And that's what they all say that. Okay, but why do you want to do that? And they don't have an answer. So the idea is when you ask someone why they're doing something and then why they're doing that thing, most people can't get to the second level why. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got exactly. to get to the third or fourth level why. And if you understand what that is, that's going to significantly change the trajectory of your future and the relationships that you make. So Al dropped the bomb on me. He said that most people's lives, their decisions are being made by a 17-year-old. Would you allow a 17-year-old to make your life choices? No, definitely not. But that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? Yep. There are compounding ripple effects from the decisions you make, from the relationships that you start with, from the place that you are where you decide to learn. Those formative years up until about the age of 24, 25, locks in your emotional and mental growth. The brain is fully formed and matured about 25. So yeah. 17 to 25 is when people make lifelong relationships. They almost never make good friends out of that range. So you're in that perfect time frame of discovering the world. And you can play video games and you can play hockey and you can do all these things. But this is the window you have to build lifelong relationships. And when ask, and if you don't believe me, talk to people who are older than 25 and ask them, of the friends that you have now, what age were you when you met them? And how difficult was it for you to make friends after college? Right now, where you are, Colin, you are in the perfect zone to make friends. These, the people you're meeting now, some of them are going to be friends for the rest of your life. Yep. I, I fully agree with that. And also some of them are, might be super, you know, they could be mentors to you in the future. They could be really successful in their own career paths. And that's... Yeah another benefit of prep school, you're around these intelligent people who will do something, most likely will do something good with their lives. So um, really fortunate to, to be in that environment. And I think that's fantastic advice of thinking about not just the second step, but the third and the fourth step, because yeah. um, what good does the second step do you if you don't know what the other two steps are? Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And not only me, but definitely our audience who are my age as well, hearing your words. So we just went into advice, but 
we've talked about this a bit already. I know you've dropped out, but how do you believe prep school better prepared you for getting into college compared to a public high school? Oh, it's easy. I got a full ride at Southern Methodist University as a president scholar. And I dropped out because I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to build websites. I felt that the idea of going to school for another eight plus years to get a master's degree in something just seemed like too long. I was too impatient. But then I realized that there was something about having a degree and building relationships over time and getting the foundations of being able to communicate, knowing how to time manage, knowing how to deal with different people in different situations, knowing how to become a better person and just experience more life. And there was a lady named Elizabeth who was one of the counsel, the career counselors at Choate. And I remember coming into her and she, she said something like, so what do you want to do with your life? Well, I don't really know. I want to be an entrepreneur. This internet thing is looking really big. And this is over, it was like 32 years ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It was, a, it was many years ago. Okay. And she said, well, this, the, the college Southern Methodist University, they have this thing called a Hunt Scholar program. And I bet if I put in a good word to admissions over there, they probably consider you. And that's a half scholarship. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I was applying to all the different colleges and I didn't qualify for financial aid because my parents made too much money, right? I had good grades and all that kind of stuff. I blew out the SAT, I, all that kind of stuff. But I, did, I wanted to have this kind of independence. So I flew out to Dallas, interviewed there at SMU with a bunch of professors, long story short, because of the connections that I had at Choate, because of this one admissions or career counselor named Elizabeth, she opened up the door to SMU, which gave me a full ride which gave me access to have dinners with presidents of the United States. If you can imagine what that's like, that's crazy. And to have someone like Al Casey, who's the CEO of American airlines as your mentor. So this, this is that butterfly effect, right? The second, third, fourth order degree that you can't, you know, that if you're going the right direction, this thing multiplies and compounds. If I wasn't at Choate, I would have never gotten the full ride at SMU. I would have never gotten the coaching from American airlines, which then led me to Yahoo, which then led me to where I am now that entire chain would have disappeared and who knows where I would have been. And it was the opportunities. It, it were those connections. And maybe if I didn't go to SMU, maybe I went to Harvard instead. May, who knows where I would have been. Maybe I would have gone to McKinsey or opened some other kind of company and had another set of friends. We don't know where that path would have. There's so many different paths your life could have taken that my life could have taken. But I know one thing I was in the right situation to make those things possible in the first place. Yeah. That's, that's crazy to hear. And you keep touching on how you've had all these like super valuable relationships that you built in uh, prep school. And it, going back to your previous point of how most friendships are made between the ages of 17 and 25, uh, I think that's really resonating with me right now, just how yep. important these years are in my life and just how valuable the relationships that I'm making right now could be when 10 years down the road that I might not even understand right now. So. Mm -hmm. And then we've talked a lot about time management. And I think at least coming from my perspective, time management is something that not a lot of people my age can do well. So I want to hear uh, a bit about your time management strategies, you know, between all of your businesses, mm -hmm. interviews, and yeah. uh, just busy life in general. How do you manage your time so that you aren't neglecting your mental health, but you're still staying stu super productive? 
I'm going to say something that might piss off a lot of people, especially if you're at a boarding school <laughs> or a prep school. Yeah. If you're intelligent and you got your act together, don't study. I didn't study. I still got straight A's. And you're around a bunch of people, especially in the prep school. If you do decent work, if you build good relationships, if you pay attention during class, you don't really need to study. Figure out what, if you're listening and you understand what the topic really is and you build that good relationship, what's most valuable are the relationships that you've built with the classmates, with the professor. Think about the other athletes on the team and how awesome that is to have those kinds of shared experiences. And then 10 years from now, some of those folks you played hockey with, you're going to do business with, and you don't really even know that. But if you're, if you're too busy studying, and maybe there's some subjects you need to memorize formulas, or you have to sit down and write an essay, which is outside the class. But with time management in school, you remember every situation you're in has a different set of rules. Know what the rules are and where you can decide to put your time and not put your time. It took me a while to realize I didn't need to read every single book and every single page in every single book. I didn't need to spend three hours on an essay when I can write that essay in 20 minutes. I found that I, if you look at, the, look at Bill Gates and look at Zuckerberg and look at these other folks who, who are really successful, you know how they got through school? They did the same thing. They didn't study, except maybe like right before the final exam. And the, the thrill of turning in the paper, like writing the paper the night before, the yeah. thrill of doing like a little bit of studying right before and, and acing it and walking out of the class while everyone else is still doing, you know, the exam or whatnot is like a drug. And that gives you amazing focus and procrastinators tend to be some of the most productive people. So if you want productivity out of a, out of a procrastinator, give them short-term deadlines. And that's what I did to myself. And I think, okay, what is it that I want to get done? Right, Colin, do you have situations where you know there's these things you need to do, but you procrastinate it yes. and you end up wasting time watching TV, exactly. just putting it off, doing stuff that's like not valuable just because you're trying to put off this yep. one thing you've been avoiding? I'm a very right? big procrastinator and I hate it, but that's just who I am. And anyone who's honest with their time, even the people who say, and especially the people who say, I'm so busy, 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 those are the people who actually waste the most time because they're too busy telling everybody how busy they are because they're procrastinating. And and I would have this all the time because when I went to college at SMU, I was taking 21 or 23 credit hours, which is more than a full-time load and running D1 across country and doing my internet marketing business and doing tutoring. But I still got six hours of sleep, you know, seven hours of sleep. Yeah. And people that told me they were busy, even during high school, because that's how I learned to be productive and manage my time and get twice or three times as much out of my time as the other students is understanding this dynamic. When you're under pressure and you set a mini deadline for yourself, when you can get something done in 20 minutes that would normally take someone all day, just kind of like pissing around, they're in front of the TV, watching the TV while they're trying to do the math problems. They just take all day, right? But yeah. when you're, so for example, you could take your laptop and let's say you're just struggling doing this one assignment and it's taking you forever and you're procrastinating and whatever. Unplug the power go to Starbucks or go wherever where you have Wi-Fi connection. And now all of a sudden, unless you have the new MacBook Pro, which lasts forever, <laughs> you have two hours of battery left and you write down your list of the three things you need to get done that are nagging you. And this is called the ladder, the, the, the laptop burn down project, right? So, you, so you, you, you have whatever, however much battery that's left, two hours of battery left. You've got to get these three things done. You can't surf social media. 
you can't waste time doing all this other stuff. You have to go straight to those things because you know that by the time the battery gets to 0%, you will have those three things done. And yep. so I did that to myself and it became a game and I loved it. And I love to win. And I love the idea of using post-it notes and writing these things down on here's the things that I need to get done and say, hey, I need, to, I need to do this, this, and that, right? And it was a thrill. It was like running cross country and winning, right? I love the idea of being able to win in this particular way. Yeah. Do you do that? Do you make I, a list of the things that you want to get done and get them done and literally cross them off and, and get the rush of endorphins when you get that done? That's how I do time management. Every day I think about, the three things I want to get done. I don't, and but I'm definitely get done. Whatever. So yeah. what? I don't, but I'm definitely going to implement that strategy in my life now. And on this topic of time management, I know that our audience who are mainly prep school age individuals are probably at the point where they have to do other things. They have to study. So one last uh, question for you, Dennis, if one of our listeners, I'm sure inspired, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be as well, if they would like to reach out to you, either for advice or just to speak in general, what would be mm -hmm. the best way of doing that? Well, how did you reach out to me? Yeah, I reached out to him on his Instagram. What's your Instagram? I don't have it on the top of my head. Dennis.u. So D-E-N-N-I-S dot Y-U. And you can look up me, look me up on YouTube, look me up on like Google Facebook, me, yeah. right? And you'll see, see wherever I am and reach out. LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect because then I know that you're a, a business person with aspire, you know, you might be a young professional, maybe you don't have a job yet, but I know that you can, if you're on LinkedIn, that tells me that you're thinking about business early and not that many 17 year olds are on LinkedIn. They're on the social networks, which is great. But yeah. if you want to build your career, you need to be on LinkedIn. Exactly. And that's a, it's a great closing piece of advice. I want to thank Dennis so much for coming out onto our podcast. That was some fantastic advice that he just dropped for all of you. I hope you guys learned a lot of it. And again, Dennis, thank you so much for coming out. Thanks, Colin. Yep. Aaron and Tristan, thank you. <laughs> thank you, everybody. And I hope that you guys have learned a little bit more from Dennis on how to chart your own course in life. And I will see you guys in the next episode.